just one of these times I'd love to say, please remain standing for the sermon. So <laughs> that'd be awesome, wouldn't it? See, see who would last the longest. We, like have a little marathon. Uh, Kenny and Marta, I, I said this first service, so it's a little insincere, but well, <laughs> I feel like I'm repeating because you've already heard it, but I want them to hear uh, me say that we are very glad that you guys are here. Thank you for uh, spending this time with us. And I was struck by something that I don't know, you may not have caught this, but I think that may be the first time that I've, you and Nathan and Jeanette have been together in a moment, at least in my, where I've sat there. And uh, just to think, sometimes I think we forget as a church uh, this work that we're doing of training pastoral leaders. And yes, it is uh, primarily about sending out, but occasionally through God's providence, some stay. And uh, it was nine years ago that Jeanette and Nathan joined us uh, as pastoral fellows uh, together in that first group. Uh, we like to say that uh, had they not been good, we wouldn't have had any more pastoral fellows. <laughs> Nathan quickly follows that with, uh, if we had had the same selection process, there's no way he would have made it. <laughs> so, both are true. And <laughs> uh, but it was just fun for me to see it. It's like uh, the, the impact and to see nine years later uh, the good work that the two of them are doing in building uh, Christ Church. And, uh, and, and specifically in this expression of Christ's community. And for, I, for the two of you, I'm really grateful and just to have had a chance to do that together for so long. Well, it's great to be here with you this morning. Let me add to the others who have, have welcomed you and said um, and greeted you and said that they're glad you're here. I too am. And uh, it's great for me to be back here uh, at the Olathe campus. For those of you that I've not met, uh, my name's Kevin Harlan, and I serve as one of the senior pastors here at Christ Community which translated means I'm one of the few people with gray hair. That's actually, I think, how you get that title, uh, is you just last long enough and have the gray hair to show for it. Uh, I work across all four of our campuses here in Kansas City, and it's always great for me to be back here. I, I remember standing here and preaching, I think, to a group of 10 of you. Uh, I don't know that uh, if any of you were here at that moment, but uh, I know in the first service there were a couple. I, there aren't many, so there's only 10 to choose from. Uh, but uh, it's great to be back and to see the work of God and how you are taking the gospel into this community for his purposes. And I am just really grateful for that. And anytime I can be here, I'm always amazed at uh, the work that God's doing through you. And uh, it's fun to get a chance to come back and be with you. Uh, if you're new here with us this morning, let me just catch you up a little bit on where we've been this past summer or in this past summer. I think it might be helpful for us as we work to engage our hearts and minds uh, together as a group of people around another important truth for us. Uh, we've taken this summer as a church to look at the tenets of our faith, the, the core beliefs of who we are as a church, the beliefs that we hold dear, the, the, with, and with each statement, we've attempted to answer this basic question, does it really matter? I mean, do we really know our statement of faith? And if we do, does it really matter what we think about each of these statements? I mean, does it really matter if God is one or three in one? Does it really matter what we think about Jesus? Or does it matter what we, whether we call the Holy Spirit an it or a he? This morning, we come to the eighth statement of our statement of faith, and I think we're faced with another very important question, and it's this. Does it really matter how we live? Now, at first glance, 
you probably just like to give this, uh, well, of course, answer and hope that I'd be willing to stop there. I mean, it is a yes or no question. How long can it take, right? But hang with me here for a moment. I agree with you that this seems obvious. And since you're here this morning, I'm guessing that this is not news to you, that Jesus calls us and, and, and urges us on to live differently, to be a different kind of people. And at first glance, we sort of like that challenge, don't we? I mean, we know we should be better people. We know that we should be more like Jesus. This week, I found myself wondering, how, how much does this fuel our love with, for self-improvement? I mean, it's not hard to look around and see that we love to think of ourselves as a people who are on a path to improvement. We love to read about how we improve. It's interesting, the self-improvement genre in the publishing world, which was started in the late 20th century, is now an $11 billion industry. That's with a B, by the way. We've even developed a love for watching people improve. I mean, we've turned it into a spectator sport. It's not hard to find a reality TV show where you can watch someone who is trying to be better. Now, maybe I shouldn't admit this, and I recognize at this moment I might be about to lose some credibility with uh, some of you here in the crowd this morning, but I like to watch Biggest Loser. And now in the first service, there were a lot of people that admitted that with me, and, uh, <laughs> and I felt much better standing here. <laughs> right now, I feel a little like I'm on my own. Um, I know, though, because it's been running for so many seasons, that some of you are secretly with me as well. But let's be honest. There's something odd about watching that show sitting on the couch, isn't there? <laughs> I mean, it reminds me of the words from the legendary football coach, Bud Wilkinson, who once described football as a game where 22 boys play on the field who are desperately in need of rest while they're being watched by 40,000 people desperately in need of exercise. <laughs> I mean, we read books, we take classes, we watch shows, and yet deep down we know we shouldn't still be wrestling with the same issue year after year. And it seems like little changes. Could it be that we are desperately in need of exercise? Well, this morning, we'll take a look at a letter that was written by the Apostle Peter, a letter that was to be circulated among the churches, the early church that was just beginning in this group of churches. This letter was for them and for us. And I think that we'll find this is just exactly the case, that we need exercise. I think Peter wanted them and us to know this important truth, that the Christian life calls us to grow and change. So if you want to follow along with me this morning, um, open your Bibles to what we call the book of 2 Peter, this letter that Peter had written. And we're going to look at the opening paragraphs of this letter together. Now, as we examine this opening of Paul's letter, or P Peter's letter, I think we'll find that he doesn't leave us hanging on how to do this. And he gives us what I believe is an important framework for life-changing growth that the Christian faith calls us to. Look with me at verse 1. 
I'm starting in verse 1. Jeanette began us in verse 3, but I want us to back up just a bit and catch this greeting that Peter lays out for us. And it begins, Simeon Peter, which is, by the way, is just another way of writing Simon Peter, if you're thinking this might be another person. Uh, Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Here's where Jeanette began. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of Him who has called, who has called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted us His very precious, His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. In the opening words of this letter, I believe that Peter gives us the foundation for true growth and life change. And he tells them to remember who you are. Do you see it there? He begins by reminding these new followers of Jesus of what God has done for them in Jesus and all that's been given to them in Jesus. Now, why is he doing this? Why does he want to start here? Well, I, see, I think it's important to, to recognize that he's wanting to help them and us to answer a very important question that we're all faced with. Why do we think we should grow? Have you ever stopped to think about this? I mean, if you believe with me that the Christian faith calls us to grow and change, why should we do it? What's at the heart of our motivation? Now, I recognize for some of you, self-improvement, whether you might want to admit it or not, is grounded in the belief and hope that one day you'll be good enough to be accepted by God. And inside of you, there's this voice that regularly speaks and, and says things like, you're not good enough. God knows everything about you, and he's not happy right now. And your efforts to grow are an attempt to someday reach a a standard that God's established so that he will like you and accept you. But Peter actually begins by saying it's the other way around. He's accepted us, and because of this, we long to grow and to be more like him. Think about it this way. Uh, The summer is wedding season, right? And and some of you may have even gotten married this summer. Probably you've attended a wedding. And let's just think about a wedding for a moment. A wedding requires a lot of preparation, doesn't it? It it requires premarital work. You've got to do this counseling or to get ready for the wedding. You've you've got to do a lot of party planning. And yes, there's even weight loss. I mean, you, you, you want to get to that perfect weight to be able to fit in that tux that you, you measured it for two months ago, right? Or, or that uh, dress that even longer. So let me just ask a question. If you've been to a recent wedding or maybe you've been recently married, you can think back to that moment. Why did you do all that work? Were you trying to convince him or her to say yes? No. They'd already said yes. Your preparations are a response to a statement of acceptance. And this is exactly what Peter wants us to remember. If you're here as a follower of Jesus this morning, your acceptance is based on what he did for you, not on your own self-improvement project. 
And if you get this wrong, this question of why do we grow, if you get this wrong, you won't grow. You'll just find yourself moving from one self-improvement project to another. And you'll be trying to take things in your own hand in a subtle and not-so-subtle way. You'll actually be trying to manipulate God, trying to get Him to like you. And as a result of all the hard work that you've put in, you'll begin to think that God owes you. You'll be frustrated when your prayers aren't answered and when people don't seem to notice all the good things that you're doing. Peter reminds us here that the motive for our growth matters. And he urges us to remember who we are. But he doesn't stop there. Look at verse 5. He continues. He says, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. Do you see the logic he's using here? Verse 5 starts with this, you remember, remember who you are, and so he starts with this phrase, for this reason, and immediately follows it with, make every effort. Because of this, make every effort. In other words, he's saying, it's great that you're a follower of Jesus. It's great that you're part of this new church that thing that's gotten started here. But now it's time for you to work hard to grow. And before we go any further, let me just go ahead and remind you that I'm the guy who likes to sit on the couch and watch Biggest Loser. I have many areas I need to grow in. And as a general rule, and this line was written in here because I knew Sharon would be here this morning, as a general rule, I don't like to work hard in these areas. So to stand here and speak these words from Peter seems to require this disclaimer. I am a fellow struggler. So let me start in my area of specialty. And let's talk about three common growth obstacles. First, some of you will never grow because you believe that growth is optional. You may never have spoken these words out loud, but you believe what's most important is that you've placed your faith in Jesus. And the stuff beyond that, it's just optional. I mean, it's really just kind of for super Christians, right? I mean, you may get around to it someday. One, one day when you get old enough, maybe you'll actually do some of those things that he's commanded us to do. But, I mean, it's really just about placing your faith and hope in Jesus. And this is where we often get confused and mistaken as followers of Jesus. There is nothing we can do to earn God's favor. But as Dallas Willard has stated, grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. You see, earning is the attitude that we have that makes us think that we are actually gaining God's pleasure. We're gaining God's acceptance. Effort is an action. So let me state this clearly. The Christian faith calls us to trust in Christ alone for salvation and it calls us to work hard at becoming the people who know who Jesus is, what he did, and desire to do the same. Article 8 of our Statement of Faith makes this very clear. It states it this way. It says, we believe that God's justifying grace must not be separated from his sanctifying power and purpose. 
God commands us to love him supremely and others sacrificially and to live out our faith with care for another, for, for one another, compassion toward the poor and justice for the oppressed. With God's word, the Spirit's power, and fervent prayer in Christ's name, we are to combat the spiritual forces of evil. In obedience to Christ's commission, we are to make disciples among all people, always bearing witness to the gospel in word and deed. In other words, growth is not optional. But there's a second obstacle that often gets in our way, is that we can believe that growth is magical. I mean, God's the one who does this, right? I mean, it's a work of God. So we don't need to participate, do we? And when we begin to think this way, we can find ourselves passively hoping and waiting that God will change us. All the while, he's simply telling us to get to work. And when you believe growth is magical, guess who's to blame when you're not growing? God is. And who's to blame when you feel distant from God? God is. And here's one more obstacle that we can believe that growth is impossible. It may be that you've just tried and failed so many times that you've given up. I found a study this week that says that of the New Year's resolutions that are made, 8% are kept. And my hunch is that you've been resolute at this work of change and you find it over and over again failing. And if we're not going to achieve the goal, why don't, why even try? And what bogs us down here is that we confuse growth with perfection. You see, the Christian life calls us to grow and change, knowing that we will not arrive at perfection until the coming day of Christ's return. Now, at this point, you might be thinking, okay, well, that's great. You've given us some obstacles. I, I like you, am an expert in these areas, but what actually works? And unfortunately, if you're waiting for the quick fix, the easy answer, I'm afraid you're going to be gre greatly disappointed with this basic application point, that it takes work. The Apostle Paul, in his letter to Timothy, he wrote about it this way. He says, to train yourself for the purpose of godliness. And, you know, when I read that, that, that you've probably heard this, this word training is actually the, the same word where you get physical exercise. It's, it's about going to the gym and, and being physically um, fit. And, and why does he have to use this physical fitness ex moment here? I mean, can't we just sit on the couch and watch? Unfortunately, that's just the point. No, we can't. We are to work hard to grow. But what should this training and hard work look like? This is where, let me make a connection for you here. This is where this training and hard work is what we often refer to as the spiritual disciplines. The spiritual disciplines are activities that we engage in, activities within our own power that produces something in us as it intersects with God's work in our lives, produces something in us that we can never do on our own. These are the spiritual disciplines, and there are many of them. 
ways for working hard at growth. But let me just lay a foundation of three basic, these are like the core exercises that ought to lay the foundation for our training plan. First, it is prayer. We need to regularly be engaged in prayer to remind us of our desperate need for God's help. He is the one who brings about growth. It's not us. Another is Bible reading. This is why as a church we're so deeply committed to this getting you engaged in the practice of daily Bible reading through our Open Here reading program. We as followers of Jesus should be actively learning who Jesus was and how he lived and working to do the same things that he would do if he were me. And the third basic exercise or practice is the work of community. And this is hard, isn't it? I remember my dad coming home from work frequently. He worked in a large company. He led a team of people, a, a fairly large group of people. And I remember my dad, it was formative for me. I remember him saying, you know, work would be a lot of fun if it weren't for all the people. And sometimes I think that as a pastor, actually. I, you know. <laughs> I know Nathan does, so uh, he... We are called to be a people who actively seek to pursue others, to seek their input, to seek their wisdom, to present ourselves for, as people who are accountable, willing to have others speak in their lives of ways we need to change and grow. This is the essence of the church, the church that we are called to love and nurture. And the list could go on and on. You see, this list of practices, much like a physical fitness list, there are many different exercises that you can engage in. But I'm guessing for most of us, this issue is not about knowing what to do. It's about actually doing it. Let me give you just a, a few practical reminders about the hard work of training that the gospel calls us to. First, finding the time to do this is about priority. It's not about margin. Peter encourages us here to make every effort. This means that training requires you to make it a priority. Your growth will be stunted if all you give this is your leftover time. I mean, let's face it, we carve out the time for the things that are most important for us, right? What would your schedules reveal about what is most important in your life? Secondly, we must remember that the hard work of growth is about progress not perfection. After Peter gives this list, I like this, he writes these words in verse 8. He says, if these are yours and increasing. This is the essence of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. We are learning and growing each step of the way. Now, you may have noticed, if you've been here at Christ Community, you're certainly aware of this. If you've been here, if you're relatively new, you may notice there's a yoke 
that's hanging in the stairwell outside in the lobby. We've said this over and over here at Christ Community, that that's not there because we're decorating with a Western motif. It's there because we deeply believe that the gospel calls us to the life of apprenticeship or discipleship to Jesus. You see, the yoke was a training implement. We, we don't interact with those much today, actually never today, uh, but it was very common in that time. And it was a training implement for oxen. And a young ox who was learning the, what it meant to, to live into his purpose or her purpose would be paired up with an older ox who knew exactly what to do. And this is why these words that Jesus speaks to us in Matthew 11 come to life when he says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my burden is easy My yoke is easy and my burden is light. And in this statement, the statement that is filled with paradox, Jesus invites those of us who are weary from our self-improvement projects to engage in the hard work of learning from Him so that we might experience the life that we were designed to live. You see, the Christian faith calls us to a lifetime of growing and learning from Jesus. And the goal is progress, not perfection. And finally, we need to remember that the hard work of training for godliness is about process. It's not about arrival. And just in case you don't believe me on this one, let's look again at Peter's list. Virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, and love. I won't ask for a show of hands, but how many have arrived at one of those? No matter where you are in your faith, there's room for growth in these categories. Whether you began to follow Jesus last week or last century, there's work for us to do in each of these areas. It's not like you graduate and you move on to another list. This is our list. Our hard work of training moves us deeper and deeper into these areas. I don't know about you, but I thought as I got older, this would actually get easier. But what I'm finding is that with each birthday, I seem to understand even more how much I don't know and how much I need to grow. Students, you may see it this way. So imagine a video game that you're playing. I kind of think our growth is like this video game that you're playing and in each level, it's kind of going slow. And you, 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 you fail and you win and finally you beat the level and then it come, the next level comes. And there's more bad guys and there's more difficulty and it's faster. And you think, okay, I'm finally going to win it and you're hoping the game will be over and then it goes to the next level and the next level. And it goes on for a lifetime. This is the essence of what Peter is calling us to. A lifetime of effort and training It's about process, not arrival. And this process is called training. But this isn't really how we want it, is it? I mean, we as a people, we want the diet pill and we want a one-minute Bible. And I thought you'd laugh there. 
They will laugh here, is what it says. When we focus... Sometimes I just miss. I I thought you would. (laughs) When we focus on the arrival or the outcome instead of the process, we can easily fall into the trap of one of the obstacles that we've already talked about. You see, our lack of arrival can cause us either to, to fall into despair or it can cause us to let ourselves off the hook. And either way, we just think that growth is impossible. So remember, it's, not about the, it's about the process, not about the arrival. Now, before we move on I, to the last part of this text, I don't want us to miss these sobering words of verse 8. I read part of them already for us, but look at this. For if these qualities are yours and increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, this hard work that we put in to supplementing our faith with these qualities actually keep us from being ineffective and unfruitful. So look at it the other way. When we aren't making every effort, as Peter describes here, what we should expect, this is the default, is that we will be ineffective and unfruitful. And if you look at verse 9, it says, we're not only that, we will be blind as well. This is not just a possibility, it's inevitable. But there's one more important element to this framework for growth that Peter lays out. He also says that we should keep the end in mind. Now, this is a common business principle. Some of you are familiar with it. I think it was Stephen Covey that first coined this term, uh, begin with the end in mind. It's a good thing for strategy. It's a good thing to always stop and think about where you're going, where you want to be. And this, I think this is exactly what Peter is urging us on here as we come to verse 10. He says, therefore, brothers and sisters, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, as I looked at this text this week and spent time in it, I There were two questions that jumped out at me in this verse. And the first is this, that if you're struggling to grow, if you just find yourself jumping from self-improvement project to the next, from one to the next, is there a possibility that you're trying to do this on your own? And if so, I think Peter here is urging you on to confirm your calling and election. If you're not growing, it might be that you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus. And maybe this morning, that's the simple step that you need to take. To trust in Him and Him alone. But there's another question in here. And that is, do we really believe that our growth in this life will matter in the life to come? You see, how we answer this question, I think, greatly affects how, how we think about our training. I mean, if we see our present-day training as having no eternal value, why would we do it? I mean, are these characteristics that Peter outlines, are they just arbitrary? Sort of a way for God to test our obedience? This hard work of growth that God calls us to isn't a test. It's not an entrance exam That's either a pass or fail. This is not us trying to earn our way in. He's preparing us. 
He's preparing us for something that's coming. There's a purpose to our training for godliness that we cannot miss or we will stop growing. God wants to use this hard work to make us people who want his kingdom, who want his reign, who want to be with Jesus. I mean, just stop and think about it for a moment with me. Think about Jesus. What are his characteristics? Virtue, kindness, self-control, steadfastness, brotherly affection, love. That's who Jesus is. And he's training us to be the kind of people who love these things too. The Christian life calls us to grow and change. So let's get to work. Pray with me, please. Lord, we come to you as broken people in need of your grace. Lord, forgive us for the ways that we have neglected the hard work of growth that you've called us to. Lord, we admit, I admit, that at times I'm lazy. And Lord, at times I, I, we try to seek your approval, to earn your approval. Lord, forgive us. Lord, nudge us to this work of growth that you desire. Bring people around us to help us get off the couch. Take our feeble attempts at training. And Father, use them for much good in our lives. Make us the kind of people who want your kingdom, who want to be with you. And Lord, I pray for those here this morning who have been struggling on their own to be better. For those who've been trying to earn your approval, Lord, work in their hearts today. May they hear from you that they can stop trying to earn your love. Lord, give them eyes of faith so they can see how you love them and what you've done for them. May they place their hope and trust in you and in you alone. And we pray all of this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.